You're listening to Animal News Magazine with Nancy DeFabio, only on L.A. Talk Radio. Chernobyl puppies do not glow in the dark. Norwegians don't need fur to keep warm. These are just a few of the topics we will be covering today. Hi, I'm William Mayock. And I am Nancy DeFabio, and welcome to Animal News Magazine. This is a live radio show about animals. Topics range from animals in science, to animals in entertainment, to animals in religion, to animals in agriculture, and especially today to animals in sanctuaries and animals in movies. Animals play an important role in our daily lives as individuals and as a society, so this show is about increasing our knowledge and our understanding of the animal world, and from that information, you can draw your own conclusion. So our guest today, we have special guest today, we have um, people talking about a movie that's coming out, Violet is Blue, it's a tale of Gibbons and Guardians, award-winning, uh, this is an award-winning short documentary. It will screen at LA Film, Film School um, next weekend. We're going to have Emmy Award winner, executive producer and director, Alex Asmi. He'll come in the studio and talk to us about all this. And we're also going to have a representative from the Gibbon Conversation Center um, in, I think they're located in Santa Clarita, but we'll get more information. So they're going to be coming on at about 2.30 uh, to talk about all this. Um, but before we start with our feature story, a man, oh, and by the way, we're also joined by Dale. He's our uh, news director and he's our also producer. He takes care of everything, basically. Hi, Dale. Hello. Dale is uh, shy. No. <laughs> what did no. you say? He's a background, background kind of guy. <laughs> okay. Background guy. So a man walks into a shop and he sees a cute little dog. He asks the shopkeeper, does your dog bite? And the shopkeeper says, no, my dog doesn't bite. The man then tries to pet the dog, and the dog bites him. Ouch, says the man. I thought you said your dog doesn't bite. And the shopkeeper replies, that's not my dog. (laughs) (laughs) Wait, let me write that down. (laughs) That's Um, very good. So um, let's let's get to it. You want to tell the story about Fang on Get Smart first, Nancy? <laughs> share that. Share that with the folks. It's such a sweet story. Those of us out there who remember that TV show from the 60s, Get Smart with Don Adams and Barbara Feldman, you'll yes. recall, then they made a movie out of it, and, and Don Adams would talk into his shoe, and he would talk back yeah. to the control of his folks, back to the office, and they had this super lovable, beautiful, shaggy dog called Fang. Right. And Fang was a secret agent. Those of you, it's got to be Pete Listers out there that remember the show. Absolutely. Was just a precious, beautiful Americana, the show. And uh, anyways, we, we went to this exhibitor show, and uh, Nancy was under the impression that Fang was simply a rescue right. doggy that they brought into the TV show. And, you know, he featured well with Barbara Feldman, Agent 99, right. and with, of course, uh, Don Adams, Agent 86. So uh, Nancy went, uh, we left. Actually, they thought the word, the, the rumor was that he was just a wandering dog and he was wandering around the studio and they picked him up and they put him on the on the show. But uh, So he was just a wandering dog yeah. and put him on the show. Lovable, adorable, beautiful, rescue, no credentials, no nothing, who knows what. So we were about to leave the show and Barbara Feldon, you know, a primary source, they're authoritative, was at the show. 
So we're leaving, and then I put the car in park. Nancy goes back to the building, walks in there, and I'll let her continue and tell you the dialogue between Nancy and Barbara Feldon, Agent 99, in that TV show. Go ahead. So I walked to Barbara, and I said, Barbara, is it true that Fang was a you know, wandering, homeless dog that you guys rescued and put on the show? And she was... she got very almost not really offended but like shocked said oh, that, are you crazy she said he was a professional actor he was well taken care of and i don't remember if she even told me that he was unionized or something but she was just like no very defensive. this very is defensive. The, very defensive yeah, 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 that's yeah. the right term absolutely not and he was like a member a charter he, member of he that. was a professional i remember her saying he was a professional actor and don't and it's that. almost like i was um, offending him right, you know right. i mean are you kidding it's not just another dog this is like a professional so you guys out there can go ahead and youtube fang get smart and don has done fang nemen's a bomb nemen's a bomb just adorable and, and yeah. so that's a great insight there on yeah. fang and, <laughs> yeah. and, and and that was a, a card carrying union member probably fang. and speaking of insight if we do have time maybe during the show uh, or another time i'd like to talk about uh doris day and her okay. animal work what an amazing oh. woman Truly, um, she just passed away recently. Yeah, yeah for those of you, if, if you're pretty young, like Dale over here, I'm sure you had parents or grandparents who've talked to you, mentioned you. I'm sure somehow you've heard about Doris Day, amazing yeah. woman who did amazing animal work, we'll despite talk. all the challenges that she had in her life, and she had quite a few. So She was in uh, a lot of movies at the Rock Hudson, yeah. too. So anyway. So continuing on here, uh, you know, what's made the news and apparently a lot of success and accolades of the HBO miniseries uh, revolving around Chernobyl a lot of developments happening regarding that. That's the nuclear disaster you'll recall in 1986 uh, in Belarus and the, the Ukraine. Uh, but some of you remember the Chernobyl disaster, which occurred uh, exactly uh, in April, April 26, 1986. The accident destroyed the Chernobyl 4 reactor, killing some 30 operators and firemen, you know, first responders, within three months. Uh, and uh, killing more people later. Very sad and, you know, cover-up allegations and so forth as to the extent of the uh, people dying and suffering. So acute radiation syndrome, otherwise known as ARS, was originally diagnosed in 237 people on site who were involved with the cleanup. And it was later confirmed in uh, in about 134 more cases. Nobody off-site suffered from acute radiation effects, although a significant amount of thyroid cancers that have been diagnosed in patients who were children at the time of the incident are likely, uh, as a result, were likely as a result of the radioactive fallout. Uh, um, while humans are strictly prohibited from living in Chernobyl, exclusion in the uh, Chernobyl exclusion zone, the CEZ, this site is home to a, a fascinating variety of plants and animals. Amazing. Although the population of insects, such as spiders and butterflies, is declining, strangely enough, Chernobyl has become a refuge for all kinds of animals. Check out this list. Brown bears, wolves, lynx, bison, deer, moose, beavers, foxes, badgers, wild boar, raccoon, dogs, and more than 200 species of birds have formed their own ecosystem within the disaster area. A variety of amphibians, Fish, worms, and bacteria also live here. The combined territory of the exclusion zones in the Ukraine and Belarus caused by the Chernobyl disaster is a little more than 1,600 square miles, making it one of the truly largest wild sanctuaries in Europe. Wow. 
without people hunting them or ruining their habitat, wildlife is thriving despite high radiation levels. So this is an experiment in and of itself. Hunting, right. hunting is strictly illegal in the zone. It appears that fewer humans, that it appears that the fewer humans there are, the more nature can reestablish itself right. unfettered by human activity. In fact, a few species are actually living better within the CEZ than outside of it. Gray wolves have thrived in the exclusion zone. Their population is nine times higher there than in other parts of the Ukraine. Moose, roe deer, red deer, and wild boar were found to have the same within the zone as those in three uncontaminated nature reserves in Belarus. Uh, I can hardly say this word here. The Przewalski horse, P-R-Z-E-W-A-L-S-K-I horse, an endangered wild species that originated in Mongolia, is thriving within the CEZ. In the late 1990s, about 30 Przewalski-Walski horses were released in the Ukrainian side of the CEZ. Some of the original horses are still alive, and the population is expanding. Wow. And people are still trying to pronounce that breed of horse, the So when the exclusion zone was evacuated, many pet dogs were left behind. There are now hundreds of stray dogs living in the area. Until 2018, it was illegal to bring any animal out of the zone due to the risk of radiation contamination. But now puppies cleared of radiation are getting a chance to be adopted. Spearheaded by the Clean Futures Fund and the SPCA International, the adoption program ensures that the stray dogs are spayed, neutered, and vaccinated, making them ready for adoption. So can you tell me um, what the name of that adoption agency is again? Well, uh, spearheaded, it was spearheaded by the Clean Futures Fund and the SPCA International. Okay. Does that help? So people can go to the SPCA International website or just Chernobyl puppies. And, yeah, you know, you know punch in or, you know, type in Chernobyl. And, and puppies and the stray dogs and animals. And then some of them will go ahead and speak uh, Belarus and Russian to you. That's just beautiful. <laughs> See, you know, this, this, is, this is a very full-flavored, full-textured show. And we have our doggy guests from Chernobyl, the refugees there, uh, asking for your kindness and your interest in adopting them. The interesting thing about these dogs, I've seen some photos, and they're a little bit mutated. You know, it's oh, they're... they're uh, you can tell that they're descendants of dogs that were exposed to the radiation, so they're kind of like strange looking. Oh boy! And poor dogs. Yeah, and some of them are less attractive than others, oh, but they're just like, oh my goodness, they're just so so cute, so adorable. I love I love our guests in the background. God bless the doggies are helping. What's this dog's name? Do you know? I don't know. Nobi. Nobi. Nobi, okay. and the, his wife is Cherry. Okay. Chernobyl. Um, yeah, so so um, on a more serious note, I really need to address this. Um, so we've been doing a show on last week, I think. We, oh, no, the week before, uh, we did a show on the, the fur ban, the proposed fur ban in New York, New York City. And there were some uh, people in favor of the ban, and there were some people outside on the street um, um, opposing the ban. And I made some comments, and uh, I received some emails from people uh, telling me, why are you, uh, and also we did a, an Amish, uh, a few shows on the Amish and puppy breeding, and um, 
people have sent me emails and said, you know, are you against the Amish? What do you have against Reverend Johnny Green? He's a reverend in Harlem. Uh, what do you have against these Hasidic Jews? What, what's your problem? What's going on with you? So this is, so let me explain. Um, if you are a medical doctor and you're illegally selling prescription drugs, you're held to a higher standard and your sentence will be harsher. If you're a priest, for example, and you molest altar boys, you're held to a higher standard and your sentence, your punishment will be harsher. If you're a lawyer and you steal from your client's trust account, you're held to a higher standard and you will be, you will get a higher sentence. If you're a medical doctor and you're taking advantage of your patients, as we've seen currently at USC and UCLA, you, uh, if you are convicted, you're held to a higher standard. So Makes sense. I'm saying this. Makes sense. I'm saying if you're going to go around presenting yourself as a virtuous person, you're held to a higher standard, and you should not be keeping dogs and running your dog farms under brutal conditions because this might not be the right business for you if you're Amish. And if you're Amish, you use the Bible as we know it, uh, at least the New Testament. I'm thinking even the Old Testament. And in Proverbs 12.10, my Bible reads, a righteous person cares for the needs of animals. So if you're an Amish dog breeder, what does that mean to you? Uh, if uh, any Amish people are listening, uh, I'd be more than happy to take your call and to let me know, uh, which, by the way, I should have reminded people, our number here is 323-203-0815. And uh, we have guests coming at 2.30, so you have until uh, 2.20 to, uh, to well, give us a ring. Nancy, I think your observations are well taken. If people are going to hold out to a certain, hold their reputations out, like you said, reference doctors, lawyers, your health is strict standards. Right. And, and, and uh, you shouldn't be cut slack. We're, we are a, an equal uh, opportunity, uh, you know, criticizers, Absolutely. commentators Absolutely. here. And, and we're, all, we're always aspiring that people will just, you know, make the best of things and improve. It's not necessarily to go ahead and and, and single out a certain faith, religion, Absolute, culture. Absolutely not. So if you're professing, you know, if right. you're if you're a religious leader, okay, and you're professing to be a representative of the black community, if you're a religious leader, you're held to a higher standard. You should not be telling people that for the black community, fur represents success. That is very offensive. So you should not go around saying, in our culture, Fur is a sign of status achievement that we made it against. Do they still have people of black community running around saying that fur is a trophy? Thing? I really don't believe that's that. Still going on? And I want to. So, but Pastor Johnny Green, I want Pastor Johnny Green. Johnny Green, call in, Pastor Johnny. Do you really Green, think, defend yourself? Do you really think that your church members, their self-esteem is so low that they need a fur coat to feel good about themselves? If that's the case, yeah. why not switch to a diamond tiara as a symbol of success? Right. Why does it have to be a fur coat? You know, you know, we're we're here to promote the welfare of animals and all that, and this trophyism and all that. You know, there's full fur. You don't have to go kill animals as a measure of, of success. That and he's supposed to be representing the, the interests of the black community, or at least his church. And that's not all. He added, I'm more concerned about saving black lives. When the activists are more concerned about saving black lives than black minks, let me know. So... This They're is not my, mutually exclusive. That's what I'm saying. We're into saving both of them. How does save black wearing, lives and the animals. How does wearing a fur coat save black lives? Exactly. Is it one or the other? Let me get this straight. Do I have to make a choice here? It's either the black mink 
or the black person. How stupid is that? It's not it's exclusive. For more, the lot of all cultures. You know I have the Hotspur Denzel. There you go, see? On June 19, uh, actually June 19, 2019, I found this article by Stuart Mitchell. He says he's a descendant of African um, slaves, and he wrote an article in the Gotham Gazette called Banning Fur is Not an Issue of Race. Gotham Gazette. Gotham Gazette. Like Batman, Gotham City. Yeah, Gotham. like Gotham City, correct. Gotham. And he says that, this is what he says, why would a people, this is a really good point, why would a people with a history of violated human rights approve of the unfair treatment of others? And to those in the African-American community who believe that a fur ban is an attack on our culture, you're disregarding our own history of oppression. Banning fur is not an issue of race. It is an issue of rights, end quote. Does this mean that he and many other African Americans who agree with him don't care about black lives, which is the point you just made? You can care about black lives and care about animals. Absolutely. And it's a very primitive thinking here to wear furs as trove. We're not cavemen anymore. Okay, we don't have to no. wear mink to, to prove this. This is ridiculous. And lastly, the Torah clearly prohibits needless pain to animals. It's very clear. And many renowned, renowned rabbis have confirmed that the strimel, is that how you call it? I don't know, but strimel. it sounds like strimel. It looks like strimel. Strimel, the fur hat worn by Hasidic Jewish men, does not have to be made of real fur. Like I said on the last show, Israel, the Holy Land, they don't wear, they wear fake fur, fur full fur. How many pelts does it take to make those furry hats? I think it was 30 minks. Yeah, absolutely. No just, justification for that at all. And if Chabad doesn't do it, right? I'm sure they don't. And Chabad's in every little town, and, 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 and they are trendsetters, and if they have to be the exemplars, then power to Chabad, and it's not necessary to do that. Besides, in our last show, we're not just entertaining, we're informative, of course, and I think we source some information to suggest that to wear the furry Stremel hats is an indication that uh, it's like a marriage They're band. married, yeah. But they're married. So you know what? I think a wedding band is less intrusive and murderous to animals yeah. than a furrier hat. It's almost the thinking of, of uh, Reverend Glenn there and all this, that, uh, you know, let's wear furs and uh, use dead animals as trophies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait, let's bring the thinking to the 21st century. Really? How about that, Nancy? I, I'm with you. So, Amen. So given that wearing this fur hat is not a religious requirement, and that it is a product of needless pain to animals, I guess it's fair to say that it's a violation of the Torah. So, And in that fur ban proposal in New York City, there is an exemption, a religious exemption, okay? First Amendment right. So if there's no basis for a religious argument, why are you still complaining? Why are they complaining? Because it's, it's a business issue, and they won't admit it. That's a good point. So if you're That's a religious a point, person, yeah. you're supposed to be honest. You're supposed to come clean and say that you would like to keep your fur business, even if it means raising minks in sadistic conditions, brutal, horrible, freezing conditions. And, you know, I I looked and I saw that New York has virtually no laws or regulations specific to fur animals. They have one uh, prohibiting the uh, electrocution of minks, but who's going to go check? I mean, really, you know, they got a good gig going on there. So hopefully the the ban ban will, uh, will go through. So I just wanted to make that clear. If you're going to represent yourself to be a religious person or a virtuous person, you better be one. Don't be a hypocrite. Don't be a hypocrite. Don't be a hypocrite. That's all. So um, let's talk about uh, Norway. Well, Norway. You know, 100 million animals are killed every year for their fur. Mm-hmm. 
Wow. Even in you know, 2019. It's sick. well It is sick. It's well accepted that animal cruelty and the fur industry are inseparable. Each year, more than 100 million animals are raised and killed for their fur. Wild animals spend their entire lives in cramped cages, deprived of the ability to engage in natural behaviors like foraging. Mink and fox are considered the most common animals killed for their furs, but fur farming extends to many other wild animals. Chinchillas and rabbits, for instance, are frequently sought out for their fur. Animals are often crossbred to create new colors for consumers. How pitiful and shallow and sickening Barbaric. is that? Barbaric. Yeah. Especially when you have, you know, synthetic alternatives, full fur alternatives, you know, just like our vegetarian meat. Right. Okay. Yeah. Terrible. Animals on fur factory farms are killed in extremely inhumane ways, such as crude gassing, anal-slash-genital electrocution, and neck-breaking to preserve the quality of their pelts. You know, it, it's so discomforting for me to even look at this and read some of this stuff. It gives me goosebumps. It's disgusting. Well, it's the real world. Bad, bad, bad. People, you know, everyone should be thinking the right thing here, and they wouldn't do this to their pets. So why do this to some, you know, anonymous animal and really sick? In today's fur market, more and more pelts come from overseas. In these cases, manufacturers have little to no idea how those animals are being raised. Even the animals we consider companions like dogs and cats are used in fur farming. This practice is particularly common, you guessed it, in China where cats and dogs are tortured and beaten until they are finally killed for their pelts. You know, i got to tell you something, Anthony. Facebook, I got a Facebook post or communication. Actually, I think it was a video. Uh, and it seems like the real deal. This is Facebook, man. This is really topical. This is a few days ago. And for a dog or two that wandered into this little town, these people are so savage in China that they came out with brooms, and sticks, and they beat the living crap out of these dogs. But these dogs care. This is on Facebook. I got it as a, a little video blurb, okay? My yeah, yeah, yeah. In China, so these dogs wandered in the wrong town, so they beat the crap out of these dogs. And, and this is today modern China where we get all this stuff from. That's a uh, far cry from uh, the dogs in uh, the town where my aunts live in Italy, that right. small town. Italy's got different. Italy, they love most, they, they, for they, the most part. They love their dogs so much, they keep all their gentles intact. Even Rottweilers, they, 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 they go on their back and they'll let you rub their tummy. Italy's just amazing with their animals. By and large, they really are. And they, you, you, you expect to see vicious Rottweilers, and instead they want you to pat their, uh, pet their uh, bellies. So that, that's another show. That's really incredible. But it's amazing how one culture, because I know in their town they have some stray dogs, and they feed them, and they, they take care of them, they give them water, they mm -hmm. give them shelter. And, and Italy doesn't beat the shit out of these stray dogs, but China still has I that, don't understand. That, I just don't yeah. get it. China has that rank, that, that, that penance. Anyway, beavers, raccoons, seals, and bears are also considered part of the fur industry. They are hunted or trapped rather than farmed, and, wi and the wild animals are often caught in crippling leg-hold traps for days without food or water. So they're not even instantly killed. They just suffer until they drop dead in the trap. It's pretty cruel and inhumane. Nearly 90% of the fur on the open market comes from fur-farmed animals rather than wild ones. There are about 275 mink farms in the U.S. alone, all of which together produce around 200 
million in annual revenue or 3,300 pelts a year. Minks, when left alone in the natural habitat, roam around on an area of approximately 741 acres. On fur farms, they're confined to a cage that measures 12 inches by 18 inches at best. Minks live their entire lives inside the cages, never exploring the world beyond. So, you know, Nancy, at some point or periodically, we have to remind the listeners what they can do to advance the cause of these animals, to to, to have society frown. Now, you know, I I thought that wearing a mink was disfavored these days. The the style houses, the fashion houses. Oh, yeah, most of them. Chanel has just got on board. Uh, Michael Kors, whom I thought would never do it. Fendi, I thought Fendi will never give up their fur. Um, so there's a turn. So it, oh, it's just Stella McCartney. She was the forerunner. She was the pioneer in all this. Amazing designer. Actually, good designer and really... She, actually, they even have... Um, they mentioned this um, when our, our Peta lady came over and talked. They have their fake... Um, the synthetic fur that's eco-friendly. Because there's an argument saying, well, you know, synthetic fur is not eco-friendly, but they're working on some Why, kind of fabric. Why, that doesn't decompose? Is that the, not equal? Right, some say, yeah, or the, 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 the process not, of making it. And I want to talk about that on another we'll show. We'll get someone else, we'll get a scientist oriented person who knows the business as far as yeah. gophers, and they can discuss the Well, we have somebody That's from uh, actually an attorney on the behalf of Compassionate Bay. I think she's coming on next weekend, and I'd like to talk about the mm-hmm. environmental uh, impact of real fur versus fake fur. Uh, We're transparent. We're not trying to pick on a particular culture, religion, or industry. But when it comes to torturing animals with thinking that's from the 50s, 60s, 70s, it's, it's not, when there's viable alternatives that don't, don't, uh, that don't torture innocent animals. I mean, I have, I have some, uh, and I got these coats many years ago, these full fur coats. Now I'm afraid to get one because I'm afraid that, what, that, they're, coming, that they're coming from real cats and dogs that are dyed and treated chemically uh, on so many levels that you, even if you test it, you won't really know if it's real or fake. So I'm even afraid to go out there and buy a fake coat. So no, but uh, the listeners have to, by that little guidance, they should still go and opt for faux furs, and uh, you know. Well, know your source. If the coat is from the U.S., it's if the fa- if the if the, if the fake fur is made here in the U.S., chances are you're you're it's okay. Be legit. But uh, I mean, I was at Macy's, and they're all you know. Uh, were they China. fake furs or real furs? Their full furs are, they say, made in China. I think, ah, I'm not sure about that. Nah, so, in other nah. words, you can have a label saying full fur, but you think China would be a little yeah, no. rascals and go ahead and I was at them. an animal law conference a few years ago, and I spoke with this uh, Asian woman, and she had lived in China, and she, and she, because I asked, I want, I want to know, I, I want evidence, you know, I don't want, you know, some kind of fake some argument in favor of one cause without evidence, without something to substantiate it. And I said, is it true that you can walk up and down certain cities or, and you see dogs and cats in cages and they're going to skin them for fur? And she said, yes, it's true. She said, if you, I don't know, today maybe they, it's not as politically correct, so maybe they'll do it like in some alleys. What countries? Is China. China. Terrible. So, again, you're going to write me and you're going to say, Nancy, what do you have against the Chinese? It's not the Chinese people. Who don't, I don't know practice that you're get this? Too many people writing in saying you're picking on the Chinese. Uh, well, I don't know if they have too many friends these days, but we're not here to alienate a country necessarily politically. When they when they do these, uh, you know, transgressions, uh, 
That's exactly. It's not even a particular to a country. I'm yeah. just saying this is what's going on in that right. country. Right. That's what's going on in that country. Okay. Now let, let's uh, let's shift our focus for a moment here on Norway. Norway. Norwegians. Norway accounts for around 1% of the global mink fur production and between 2 and 3% of fox fur production. Norway plans to close all fox and mink farms by 2025. God bless them. That's nice. And it's cold in Norway. That's so friggin' nice of them. Norway is now the 14th European country to phase out fur farming. A bill presented to Parliament would render it illegal after 2025 to possess animals for the purpose of killing them. Quote, for the sale or any other use of their fur, end of quote. Their proposed ban is the result of an agreement reached in January 2018 when the right-wing government expanded to include the small liberal party which insisted on the measure. The present-day industry was shrunk significantly. The country's fur farming industry employs around 400 to 500 people across 200 farms and has annual sales of 300 million kroner. Well, I don't know what kroner is equal to U.S. dollars, but it sounds like a lot of money. You know one kroner is equal to one U.S. dollar, Nancy? Uh, we no, are a, like a we are a full informational show here, not just that as the currency exchange. I don't think exchange. it's that much. What is it, Dale? What's a kroner versus I, a I don't a think buck? it's that much. Can it buy you a, some kind of veggie happy meal? 300 million, well, 300 million. It's a lot of kroners. It, it, yeah, it's a sizable amount. Well, God bless Norway, man. They're shifting 2025. It has to be in the millions, right, Dale? I think so. Yeah. All right. So it, maybe one of you uh, listeners can help us out here and call us at 323-203-0815. And uh, assist us, and uh, maybe get you on the air. The government has announced that it will offer financial compensation to farmers. Hey, viva Norway. It will have to pay farmers around 500 million kroner. Hey, 52 million euros. We got some covered. $54 million in compensation for either the dismantling or conversion of their businesses. According to Norgi Pedestraslag, the country's fur farming industry employs around 500 people and has annual sales of 300 million kroner. Now, next time I want it in U.S. funds, straight out, well, not with the kroners. So, so okay. 500 million dollars, 500 million kroners, 54 million. Okay, then you know, Nancy, do the math. Nancy's power to uh, Norway. From what I'm understanding, they're they're taking charge here and they're. Uh, they're gonna they're gonna cut this out here. Yeah, they're and doing and it another five years. Come right. On. If Norway is a freezing country, they can do it. Any you know we right. we can do it in North America and and all over other parts of Europe. That's yeah, very you're right. Cold climate they're sacrificing. How about our story with Bang on Get Smart? See those of you tuned in late, you missed a great story. We, you know we we are subject to, to podcasting, and uh, and if you do miss any of our stimulating broadcast, informative broadcast. You could you could Google us, search us, and there are some yeah. repeat broadcasts. The best of actually, yeah. So the best of Nancy the Family's animal show, and you can hear us at your convenience all across the globe, any time zone you wish. That's uh, that's true. So you can write us at Nancy, write me Nancy at animallawlawyer dot com. You can go to LA Talk Radio and click on Animal News Magazine. All the shows are there. Uh, you can download it, you can save it, you can play it. And uh, obviously you can also call us at 323-203-0815 when the show is on. So we're waiting for our guests to come on and talk a little bit about this amazing film. 
for a good cause. Uh, but while we're waiting, I'd like to, like I said before, I want to talk a little bit about Doris Day. Um, so Doris Day was an amazing, amazing actress, very prolific actress, and she she was a classic uh, Hollywood icon. Wouldn't you agree? Yes, legendary, and yeah. And on Monday, on May 13, uh, this year, 2019, she died of complications from pneumonia, and she was 97 years old. Wow. Um, and um, huh. she's best known for her film career, obviously, but what is less known to many is that she made a really big, huge contribution as a lifelong animal advocate. Lifelong. Um, a little bit about her. She was uh, discovered while singing at a Hollywood party, and uh, she really quickly made the transition to the big screen. She appeared in movies as uh, Calam- Calamity Jane in 1953, um, in Alfred Hitchcock's 1956 thriller, The Man Who Knew Too Much, amazing That's film. Famous. She was in musicals, 1957 musical, The Pajama Game, Pillow Talk, which is what you mentioned, Wasn't William, before. She in a, a few rock huts and right. movies? Pillow yeah. Talk with Rock in 1959. And um, anyway, she sang, Sarah, Sarah, you know that song. Of course, that's a famous song. Big Office. You want big... to sing a few bars then? No, I'm not. Uh, nah. Sarah, Sarah. No, I'm not a good singer. Or I'm not a, I'm actually, I'm not a bad dancer, but I can't sing if the, my life depended on well, it. Well, you can dance and I'll describe it for the <laughs> listeners out there, okay? <laughs> she was uh, really a big uh, box office draw in the 60s. So she was born April 3rd, 1922 in Cincinnati, Ohio. She had never had any intention of leaving Cincinnati. Uh, she would have. She wanted to be a wife and a mother, just the typical traditional housewife in the fifties. Um, but she did aspire to be a professional dancer. But um, in 1937, she was only 15 years old, and uh, she was a passenger in a car and was hit by a train. The car was hit by a train. Wow. Didn't know any of this. Yeah, she suffered serious fractures in her right leg, and she could never dance again. Did you say right leg? Her right leg okay. never dance again. Uh, so she started uh, singing. She started developing her singing talent. She started to perform on the radio. And very importantly, and I think this is what really turned it around for her, uh, while she was recuperating at age 15 from this terrible car accident, uh, she, she said uh, that her dog, Tiny, he helped her get through it. He helped her get through the situation. She's quoted, she's quoted as saying, but the dog was tiny in name only. She was quoted as saying, he never left my side. He understood my moods and gave me the kind of companionship that only a dog can bestow. Beautiful. Our guests Beautiful. are here. Hi, come on in. Um, she added that it was during that time that I began a lifelong love affair with dogs, uh, a sentiment known only to dog lovers and cat lovers too. And their affection and caring is a relief from tensions and anxiety. So I'm going to continue to talk about Doris next week. But for now, our guests are here um, to talk to us about this uh, this movie that uh, we'll be showing next weekend. We'll continue with the Doris Day story. Absolutely. Because that deserves uh, lots of time, and it's yeah. beautiful, the dog tiny. But welcome, live studio guests. How are you today? I'm doing very good. Thank you very much. All right. Thank you for having us. Of course, of Hi. course. Go ahead, introduce them. So I know that you must be Alex Azim, Azmi. That's correct. Yes. Uh, Emmy Award winner, executive producer and director. Wow, that's that's a lot of stuff right there. And nice we have, have here uh, a representative from the... Uh, is, I hear I have here Gibbon Conversations. Isn't it Conservation? Conservation. Okay. Center. And yeah. your name? Gabriela Scholar. 
Gabriela Schoeller. My cousin's named Gabriela. Um, so um, tell me a little bit about yourself, Alex, before we talk about the film and all that stuff and the beautiful apes. Oh, thank you very much. First, thank you very much for having us. Uh, it's really great opportunity. Uh, just I'm a, I'm a filmmaker. I've been in the film industry more or less for about seven or eight years. Uh, the film that you mentioned, the one that got the Emmy Award, is uh, is about immigrants. It's oh. called To Climb a Gold Mountain. It's about four different uh, Chinese immigrants uh, at different times from the uh, like 150 years ago until now, and how things have changed over time. Wow! So that's uh, that's the film. Uh, when did you make this film? What year was this? So that would have been 2016. Okay, it's recent. Yes, it's a recent, recent film. And that's the one you won the Emmys for? Or that's the correct, Emmy? yes. Very, very nice. And they were immigrating from what country to what? From China? It, the four ladies were from China, yeah. And to and, the USA? Yes. Uh, so obviously these are different generations. I mean, it took some time to pick these particular ladies. Uh, but it's something between Roots uh, roots, and Joy Luck Club, something in between. It kind of goes from generation to generation mm-hmm. to generation. And you can see how things have changed over time. And it's a documentary. It's a documentary. Okay. Somebody wants to see this film. How do they get access to it? So it, the uh, the uh, the website is goldmountaindoc, uh, goldmountainmovie.com. Okay, goldmountainmovie.com. Okay, that's easy enough. Um, and Gabriella. Yeah. So you're with the conservation. So you want to have a question yeah. for Well, I just, uh, uh, do you have any linkage together? Do you do you work together on projects? or? or yes, just, Alex did the documentary about the Gibbon Center, and I'm okay. the director of the Gibbon Center. Okay, so you work in, in that regard, you're going to say. Yes, okay. yeah. But, but here's a burning <laughs> question for yes. those in our listening audience who don't know what a Gibbon is. Can you cue them in into what that means, please? Yeah, so Gibbons are small apes, and they are found in Southeast Asia, Northeast India, Southern China. And... Um, they are the only apes besides humans that they sing. So, um, wow. and then they are also the most acrobatic. They walk upright. They uh, live in family groups. So there's a lot of similarities to us, uh, but they, there's very few people know about them. I haven't heard of Gibbons until <laughs> today, and you've attracted my you got my attention right out the gate with the singing. Yes, that's fantastic. How? Um, so where do they live? They live in Southeast Asia, Northeast India, Southern China. Okay. And we have a conservation center for them in Santa Clarita, just north of Ale. And how did you get access to these gibbons if they live so far away? What happened? Uh, the conservation center is uh, an education center. It's like a primate center. So we study them, and we are also participating in captive breeding programs. So um, many zoos working with them, and they are in a species survival plan, so to preserve these species, these rare species of gibbons. Are they endangered? They are endangered or critically endangered, most of the species, yes. Because? Because uh, deforestation and hunting. Terrible, deforestation and hunting. Do you have some in Santa Clarita? Do you have any gibbons up there? We have 38 gibbons at the center. 38 gibbons. You know, I'll tell you, you, they sell a little book for contribution that goes to, I think, an animal preservation center in Santa Clarita. Are you familiar with this little book for $10 each? No, I haven't seen it now. It's because I didn't bring the book in. And I think, I mean, I don't think there are multiple preservation centers in Santa Clarita, California. Mm -hmm. We do sell books in our gift shops. Yeah, it's a $10 book for contribution. Mm -hmm. I didn't know they were connected. Well, this (laughs) is a coupon book that you, you, uh, it's free to you. Mm -hmm. All you have to do is put a coupon in there. Uh, $10 off admission, 
and uh, they sell this coupon book. And it's um, I will email to you the name of the book that you might be able because I never heard of the sanctuary. Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm calling it a sanctuary. I and never heard of it before. To you guys to the to the sanctuary. Yeah. And they feature sometimes the givens, but I never knew it was called the given. <laughs> so before we get to how you guys got to know each other and all that, can you let us know when and where this film, what, what's this film about, basically? Alec, tell, tell us, Alex. What's, what's uh, absolutely. Uh, thank you. So the film, uh, basically, it's a documentary. It's a 40 minutes documentary. Uh, you can think of it more or less as, as a strong love story between people and animals. It's a heartwarming on some hand. On the other hand, it's really heart-wrenching. Uh, it features a cast of, of characters. Some of them are humans, and some of them are gibbons. Uh, there's Violet. The Violet is the uh, the gibbon that we name in the film after. She's very mischievous. She's very oh. funny. She's very uh, rambunctious. She's also very, very lovely, and she oh. seemed to be always causing causing trouble. Uh, always, I'm looking uh, forward, right? As you describe <laughs> it, yeah, you will love Violet. Real character. Yeah. Sounds like cartoon, but it's real characters. Uh, they they, they <laughs> really are, yeah. Violet. Uh, there is Nate. Uh, he's he's a very young, uh, very young Gibbon. Uh, he is upset that his mom is attracted to a male who's not his father, and he seems to be doing everything he can to like uh, stop. Is this, this fiction or is this real? No, th- this this are real. real. I, I mean, wow, it's, it's very that. very interesting. Oh stories. my goodness yeah. gracious! You're talking about similarity like to humans. humans. Yeah. Like humans. yeah. There is there is uh, Pepper. Uh, she's um, her mother died, and uh, uh, she, she she's she's growing up to be the leader of the, the group. She, she's a young uh, female. Uh, these are not individual stories per se. Rather, it's really a part of a larger community or larger society that includes both gibbons and people. Uh, they're very interesting society. So the film covers the society in terms of the gibbons, but also talk about the key persons there. There's the individual that, that started the uh, the uh, the center, uh, a very talented man with with uh, with uh, a mission and a vision. There is the center itself that faced many many uh, challenges. Some of them were actual disasters, and came close to to closure uh, more than once. And then few women came together. Uh, Gabby is one of them, and and decided to save uh, the buffins and the center, and worked really hard to do that. Uh, I should add that the work they've done is not in like in the spotlight or, or under uh, uh, for recognition or for compensation. Rather, it was, it was very hard work. If you go to the uh, center, it's very much in the desert area, in very harsh conditions, uh, very little resources. Uh, done it uh, almost entirely by by like love and conviction for mm-hmm. for the uh, for the mission. So yeah. the, this is in summary what the film is about. It also highlights the the plight of the gibbons in the wild, as as Gabby mentioned. Out of the twenty different species that we know of, nineteen out of the twenty nineteen are either endangered, critically endangered, or close to extinction. My goodness, that's tragic. So tell us what we can do. Okay, to reverse this, because a- any apes who can sing and do whatever the other actors you're talking about, and I, really, this is something humans, instead of deforesting them and hunting them or making them extinct, they should appreciate their, 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 kin, their kinship to us. You, you know, how a kid could not like the mother going out with someone who's not his father. Those are themes that, you know, people go for therapy about, right? <laughs> <laughs> yes. It's kinship. So, yes. So, can That's why our us? center is so important. So besides, we try to save species by working oh. together with other zoos and conservation centers. We also educate people about gibbons. What is a gibbon? 
and uh, we have kids coming through the front gate and never heard about Gibbons. And then we talk about them and they start singing and you change these people, you inspire right. people. And, and then you told them you can make a difference. You can volunteer at different conservation centers. You can, uh, every time you buy something, Beautiful. you can think about, do you really need it? Uh, where is that product came from? Right. How it was produced? Because right. many grocery and cosmetic products contains palm oil, and palm oil caused major deforestation in Sumatra and Malaysia, and destroying the habitat of gibbons, orangutans, rhinos, so many elephants, many animals. Interesting. That's Just the beautiful. consumption of palm oil can but take... Palm oil, yes. So there's two reasons now not to eat or consume palm mm-hmm. oil. It's no good for cholesterol, and it deforests the, the environment. Where is yeah. poor gibbons? I'm ser- see, education helps us in our cause of animals, their welfare and all that. Yeah, stuff. I mean, I'm, so I'm happy I'm learning all this. So when is the film... What's the name of the film, and when and where is it featured? So the name of the film is Violet. Violet is Blue, mm-hmm. A Tale of Gibbons and Guardians. Uh, and it, you are the guardians. I'm one of the guardians. Okay. Uh, so it will be screened on on uh, Saturday, July 20th, at the LA Film School Theater, and that is located at the 6363 Sunset Boulevard okay. in Los Angeles. And uh, so, uh, are you so are you can have like a pre-event? I mean, how what, what can people expect when they show up? Yes. Uh, thank you very much for that. So we uh, the proceeds. The proceeds will go entirely uh, directly uh, to the uh, center, to the feeding of the the, uh, the gibbons. Uh, what we will have is we'll have the screening itself, and then we'll have a reception afterwards. So we'll start at seven, and more or less we'll close very, uh, we'll finish very close to ten ten o'clock. Uh, okay. So the reception. How long is the film? So the film is forty minutes, okay. and then we'll have a Q and A answer for okay. for uh, twenty minutes. There's also a baby gibbon that is just uh, was just born in the last couple of weeks, oh. and uh, we, uh, Gabi and, and the Gabi Center, will have an auction, silent auction for naming the gibbon, and then we'll start the reception from like more or less eight thirty to ten. Oh, an auction on how to, to name, name the, the gibbon. Name the gibbon. The name the gibbon. Yeah. Oh, yes. that's beautiful. Yeah. How could? First of all, tell us websites that are the website that the people can go to follow so, up to and get tickets and, all and that. to uh, learn more about the center. You can go to gibbonscenter.org, and then we are also active on social media. So Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, you can find us, Gibbons. and we'll post updates about our events and when we are open. Um, Gibbonscenter.org. So do you have tours at church? We do. Uh, we are open every Saturday and Sunday from nine thirty to noon. And we do a guided tour at 10 o'clock. And then uh, we are also open for field trips, so schools can schedule a tour for the kids. And uh, we also open for private tours. So how much interaction? Yeah, I know. How much interaction do we have with the, can I pet the gibbon? No, no. These are wild animals, so we want to respect them as a a wild animal. So you you can come and hear them. Even you? Do they know you? I mean, if they they, get to... Yes, of course they know me, and I feed them, I clean them, I take care of them, but I try to limit the interactions right. with them because we want them to be a given. We want to be Correct. keep them as wide as possible. So you don't dress them up in tutus and little funny hats and all that? No, like we some don't dress do. them. No, it's, it's not good for <laughs> gibbons. And that's it another is... problem that uh, causing them to be endangered is the wildlife trade. 
that people capturing them, killing their parents and selling the babies to oh use them God. as a tourist attraction, to take pictures with them, to hold them, to pet them. And that's, that's also a terrible thing for them. So we want to teach people also to, to be a good ecotourist. So when they go to another country, not to take pictures with wildlife or ride an elephant or hold a gibbon. Because you're gibbon. harming the animal, you're harming yes. the gibbon. But yes. you know what they'll do? Wild. They'll tell you that they're a rescue, that this is a charity. That's what they do. They'll, like if you go in India and you want to go, they say, oh, this elephant is a, is a rescue elephant or whatever. But they're really like tourist tours, for lack of a better term. You know, you bring up a good uh, issue here because without me being specific and naming who, what, where and all this, so when you go to these, they're supposed to be preserves and all that, like monkey places and all that, mm -hmm. right? And when the monkeys land on you and all that, is that not accepted? Are there certain ones? that They're actually in a huge, huge cage, the size of half a football field. I'm not good with the numbers, the measurements. And they seem to be in a natural habitat, uh, but they'll 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 uh, they'll land on you for mm -hmm. feeding purposes. Yeah, it, it has that. What's your opinion on See, that? Any kind of interaction with the primates can risk their health because primates are closely related to us. So many disease can transfer from humans to a primate and from a primate to a human. So uh, even if you're in their native habitat, you shouldn't. Be closer than five feet to a primate. So there shouldn't be unless you have all the, your vaccination, you wear right. a facial mask, yeah. and um, I think we should just uh, watch them and respect them from from uh, yeah. from a distance. From a distance, yeah. Okay, well that's all the time we have, but I do want to repeat: this is the screening Saturday, July twentieth, seven p.m. LA Film School, sixty three sixty three Sunset Boulevard in Los Angeles. Will be shown at seven p.m. And I read here that the tickets are $25. For an this, adult, yes. This is the donation that you're making to an amazing cause. Beautiful We're going. People. I'd yes. like to go. Um, and there will be yes. an auction. You get to name a little Gibbon. How cute is that? And actually, people 12 years or younger get to pay a little less. Alex Asmi, thank you very yeah. much. Thank you Gabriella, very Gabriella, thank you. Keep up thank the great you. work. God we really appreciate it. Thank you, it. Thank you so much. And, thank you so much. And you people you, out you, there, you. thank you very much for spending this time with us. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye next time. You're listening to Animal News Magazine with Nancy DeFabio, only on L.A. Talk Radio.